why is this happening? And it's like, yeah, because yeah, you, you killed that kid. The kid you died. smashed a kid with a dirt bike. Yeah. You're still listening. This is our final transmission. We're here. We are here, Sam. Christmas is over. We're back into the Halloween of it all. We're back into the hell of it all. How are you feeling uh, post-Crimbo? I'm feeling pretty, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm feeling acutely aware that when I look at myself in this video call that I look a lot like Pumpkinhead. (laughs) I don't think you look like Pumpkinhead. You look more like that baby from the Apex Twin video. (laughs) Even better. Or hipster Nosferatu over here. (laughs) Whether or not I look like Pumpkinhead, I definitely feel like Pumpkinhead. And we're here today, by sheer coincidence, to discuss the 1988 cult witch monster slasher feast for the eyes Pumpkinhead, the movie. How are you feeling about it? I mean, we'll get into the the meat of it, but, but Pumpkinhead, it's a goodie, isn't it? It's a banger. Oh boy, is it tight, taut and perfect and tasty in all the right places. I really, really fucking like this movie a lot. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's just such a boon to have what would be a pretty run-of-the-mill sort of monstery, slashery, late 80s, low-budge horror flick. But it's just so good to have that incredible central performance from old old Lancey boy. Yeah, and, and I mean, I hadn't seen last... Lards, Lards, Lard, Lard boy, Henriksen. I hadn't seen Lance Henriksen in a leading role before. Uh, I mean, I considered his performance in the Alien movies a leading role, but that's just because he was my favorite character. But yeah. I hadn't seen him really take the center stage, and you know, I saw this quite a long time ago. I think I saw this in my teens, mm. and it stuck with me for, for forever. Like his performance in particular, but the movie as a whole has a has a lasting effect. I think. Lance Henriksen is one of those actors. Do you know like how every action star now stars in like two good movies and then just moves into straight to DVD, mm-hmm. low rent trash? Yeah. Like I think Lars Henriksen is the, no, Lance Henriksen, <laughs> you fucker, you did this. <laughs> I think Lance Henriksen is the blueprint for that yeah. because he moved so fluidly between it. But the difference is when Bruce Willis r.i.p his brain but when bruce willis is um in all of these like i don't know thrill kill shot head or whatever they call these title of any of these movies shot head i don't know i'm trying to i'm trying to think of a title for a low budget sort of action movie that bruce willis would be photoshopped into like he's yeah he's basically like asleep for these entire movies Mm. whereas lance henriksen Mm. brings it all day, every day. He's just a man who I think he just can't turn it off. Like he's born to act. Like he's like, uh, he's like Michael Michael Caine in A Muppet Christmas Carol. He's given everything he's got to everything he's got. And yeah. oh boy, does he pummel the ass off this movie. He really does. The ass is pummeled off this mm. movie. Um, do you want to give us a, a quick synopsis and then we'll, uh, we'll take a break? Yeah. Lars... <laughs> <laughs> Lance Henriksen plays Ed Harley, not yep. Ed Hurley, as I kept writing in my notes. <laughs> Lance Henriksen plays Ed Harley, 
And Ed Harley is a tragic hero, in my opinion. Yeah. The events that befall him are not his fault. Uh, uh, they're kind of his fault. <laughs> he makes he makes some bad decisions. Sure, but he makes them in the grip of grief. He is. True. Hey, we'll get to that later. Just give the synopsis, you dick. There's a tragic <laughs> accident, and uh, Lance Henriksen's son dies. Yeah. He seeks revenge on the unwitting, bumbling city teens who committed. Said atrocity. Sorry, I can't do. A, let me let me let me start again. Okay. There is a tragedy, and a man seeks revenge. He seeks the revenge of the death of his son by visiting a shack in the woods, wherein lives a witch called Haggis. Called Haggis, the witch <laughs> brings <laughs> brings to life an evil monster, which twinned with. Ed Harley's mind and heart and soul ravages its way through the woods on a demented killing spree. I mean, that's it. That's, that's the movie. It, right? That's basically yeah. it. Good. If, if you want a more detailed synopsis, I would recommend going to listen to the song Pumpkinhead by Michael Graves and the Misfits Boys. That Graves era Misfits jam is a synopsis of the movie. It's, it's, more, it's more a retelling of the movie, <laughs> blow yeah. by blow, beat by beat. <laughs> It's great. Absolutely. It's not the best on that record. And, you know, say what you want about Michael Graves. We're both huge Famous Monsters fans. We're, I mean, how do you rate that song on the album? It's not I a mean, fave. It's not a fave, but it's it's got that good refrain from the movie, the stay mm. away from Pumpkinhead unless you're tired of living. Like, yeah. that's, that's cool. It is. It's great. I think I heard the song before I saw the movie, so I was like, fuck yeah, I'm well in for this. Yeah, and I remember... I was the other way around. I'd already seen the movie. Then I heard the song and I was like, oh, this is like the fucking anthem of the movie. And the movie for me is a bit of an unsung hero of 80s monster movies. So mm. I was like, finally, it's getting its, you know, it's getting its soundtrack that it deserved. Uh, so I like both. I like the movie a lot more. But wow. I mean, what a thing to have a song in the world about Pumpkinhead. It's great. What's your favorite Graves era Misfits jam? Dust is Scream. Dust Dust. Uh, Scream is my favorite, one of my favorite videos of all time. But yeah. Dust to Dust was the first song I heard of that era. It was the first song I heard off that album. It was on a like a Kerrang sampler or something. And mm -hmm. it, dude, it kicks dick. It's so good. What about you? The first song that I heard from that era was um, Fiend Club. Mm. Which strong. It's strong, but it's not a fave. That was also on a Kerrang. I think it was called like, it was like a punk sampler. Mm. that came with Kerrang. It was like a, a big intro to so much punk that I love. Nice. I think it, I think it went from Look What Happened by Less Than Jake into Fiend Club into God Called In Sick Today by AFI. Holy cow. And I was just like, yeah, the, these three songs are my entire teen personality now. Jamie's big three. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but my favorite Graves Era Misfits song is um, Forbidden Zone. The Planet oh, of the Forbidden Apes Zone. One. What a banger. Yeah. So yeah. good. Early album track. Big hit. Yeah, they they didn't even need to write two verses. Just repeat it. The Ben Small way. <laughs> Just keep saying the same shit. It's, it's great. Like it's so good. It's really good. Pumpkinhead, maybe not even top five on that album, but it's great that yeah. it exists. I mean Yeah. I feel like that was we're talking way too much about this, aren't we? But I feel like that was Graves <laughs> trying to be Danzig too much. And it didn't really 
didn't really work but he tried yeah i think it's interesting that graves michael graves has a different like has different cinematic horror touch points to danzig yeah so whereas sure. whereas danzig singing about like old vincent price movies mm. like michael graves is singing about the movies that meant something to him because he is 50 years younger than everyone else in the misfits <laughs> yeah. so so like yeah I, I think that's cool i mean obviously he's a fucking nazi and kill him in the head or whatever but like like yeah you can't take that album and half of american psycho away from him no he's a real piece of crap but uh good songs and on that note let's go for a break sam Oof, i need one Holy shit. I guess that's why they call it Phantom Power. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Sam. A little Robin told me that you've got something special out for Christmas. Is that true? A little red-breasted, loose-lipped Robin has been talking to you. Yeah. It flew in my window, landed on my shoulder, and said, Sam's released a special Christmas uh, record, 7-inch, with some amazing artwork and two great, great songs on it. That's good work from the robin uh not paying that robin enough yes <laughs> i put out a seven inch this festive season uh it's out on red scare industries it's called mistletoe pier and it has two very christmasy holiday themed festive jams uh for your listening pleasure you can pick it up uh, in the uk on my web store you can pick it up from redscare.net you can get it on bandcamp for two bucks and you can stream it everywhere you stream music it's really good i recommend that you do it i heard the songs back in I don't know, was it like August or something when you first recorded them? And I was yeah, like... Yeah, recorded in June, sent them straight to you. Yeah, and I was like, this is amazing. But now I can listen to like all the plebs and it just sounds it sounds even better. It's seasonally appropriate. It's wonderful. You'd probably still enjoy it in March, but yeah. get on it now. I mean, the only thing that makes it a Christmas song is saying Christmas in the first line. Uh, <laughs> the rest of it is just my usual, you know, misery. So if you enjoy misery, get stuck in. Is Mistletoe Pier a real place? No, absolutely not. The songs were written uh, and inspired by Chroma Pier, okay. uh, which is less romantic sounding. Yeah, so it's a fiction. I've been lied to once again by fucking Sam Russo. My gift to you this festive season, a whole pack of lies. Uh, enjoy yourself. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Uh, and yeah, listen to it. It's really good. It's really, really good. Thanks. And back to the show. We're back, Sam. Oof. I'm back. Are you back? In the words of Violent J from the Insane Clown Posse, I am back like a vertebrae. <laughs> Is that a real lyric? Yes. Fucking hell. The 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 stanza there is um <laughs> I think it's I'm Violent J and I'm back like a vertebrae. Ha 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 ha. Fuck you. <laughs> Wicked clowns. <laughs> That's, That's so good. I obviously we've talked a lot about music that people think is objectionable and terrible already, yes. yeah. but I am a I'm a big big ICP fan. I think Are it started ironically. Well, it started unironically, mm. and then it was a bit ironic for a bit, and mm -hmm. then now it's now it's gone, come full circle to it's just funny silly music. We should do an ICP episode. We should do an ICP episode. They've done three movies. Fuck my ass. I had no idea. You're going to have to drag me kicking and screaming into ICP because 
I see very little appeal. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm open-minded. Take me well, in. They did a they did a movie uh, that's sort of a black exploitation spoof called Big Money Hustlers, and then they did a movie that's a western spoof called Big Money Rustlers. Oh my god! And then they made a movie um, that's like a Death Wish ripoff, not Death Wish, Death Race two thousand ripoff. Okay, that's called Death Racers, um, where they play like a couple of well, they play ICP, but they're all, they're in the Death Race, right? And they're competing against an Australian team of porn stars that call themselves Vaginamite. Which I don't know if that's a pun really on on Dynamite or Vegemite because they're Australian. Or vaginas. So, well, obviously vaginas are in there somewhere. <laughs> is it is it a stretch to say that ICP are the uh, Steve Martin, Martin Short, Chevy Chase uh, <laughs> crew... Of the, uh, are they rap? Can you call ICP rap? I guess you can. I think you can. Of the rap um, world? Is that, is that fair? Well, they were, they were also wrestlers. I think they are more like the Orson Welles of rap. Like, they're, they're into everything. Yep, they got their fingers in many pies. Yeah. Orson Welles, Orson, Orson Welles had his finger and also his mouth in many pies. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> is that how you eat a pie with your mouth in it? <laughs> If you're in a pie-eating contest, maybe. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. Yep. Anyway, less about pie-eating contests. How can the good people support the podcast, Jamie? What can they do to back back their boys? Well, the first thing you should do is open up whatever you're listening to this on right now mm. and just slam, slam five stars right into there. Because, yeah. I mean, you've not heard the episode yet, but it's a five-star episode. Let's be honest with ourselves. Dude, so far, we are killing it. Give it five yeah. stars. Come on. <laughs> You can also, if you if you're feeling verbose, maybe pop a little review in there as well. Yeah, something really overly verbose. I want like, I want I want to think that you might have swallowed a thesaurus. I want awesome whales eating a pie from the inside out levels of verbosity. <laughs> exactly. Um, what else could they do, Sam? They can fire up their modems and they can use it to uh, go onto the internet and access a website called Instagram. And they can give us a follow, at FT Horror Show. And then they can do even more. People love tapping stuff with their thumbs. Do more. Tap some stuff with your thumb and write the word lol on some things because we've got some great content on there on that Instagram. You can also do the same on another website called TikTok, which I believe you can uh, you can access at the same handle. Then, once you're done with all that, you can shut it down. You can just turn around to pe the people around you. Just be like, hey, buddy. You're in the library, obviously, if you're on a if you're on a desktop computer, and you can tell the people in the library to follow us too, and uh, then you can go around your uncle Larry's house, take him your Christmas leftovers, flick him in the nuts, and say, "Follow FT Horror Show and listen to some great shit about horror movies." I think that's almost everything you can do. There's one. There's one more key crucial thing, Sammy. It's very important that you sign up to the Patreon and give oh, yeah. us. In the words of Bob Geldof, "I'm back like a no." Give us your fucking money. Um, <laughs> if if your grandma slipped you £2.63 in a Christmas card this year, why don't you take that money and buy 50 hours of content on the FT Horror Show Patreon, where you can hang out with us in the wasteland as uh, a bunker chud or a wasteoid or a gore warlock and dig deep into some dirty backstage commentary stories, fun times. Yes, absolutely. It's an investment in your future. It's like... If you if you signed up to a masterclass or, or or a maestro thing to learn how to write like Alan Moore or whatever, this is like a masterclass in 
talking shit specifically with Sam Russo. Here's a question. Is it pervy if you want to buy a masterclass just because you fancy the person doing it? <laughs> yes. I don't think people are signing up to... I'm guessing this is Amy Poehler. Yep. I don't think people are... <laughs> you know me so well. I didn't think it was fucking Norm Chomsky, did I? So <laughs> I, do, I fancy that guy too. He was Speaking a, he was a gnomes, stud. We'll come back to gnomes later, won't we? We will um, come back to gnomes later. <laughs> Who else um, can link Chomsky and Pumpkinhead? Only us. Give us your fucking money. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's all the ways you could support us. And now that you've done all of those, which you definitely have, haven't you? Of course. You've had long enough. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll talk about Pumpkinhead, which is let's the go. reason that you're here. Oh, let's wade in. What a fucking beautiful movie. I get so excited when I get a chance to talk to anyone about Pumpkinhead. Uh, there's there's barely a second I don't enjoy this movie visually. Let's just go in hard, Jamie. How do you feel about the movie Pumpkinhead? When when did you first see it? What does it bring up for you in your life? So I think I must have been 15, 16. Um, it was, like I say, post having heard the song, the Misfits mm -hmm. song. So um, it was. I was always going to like it because my entire personality when I was 15 was liking Misfits, mm -hmm. um, along with terrible new metal and a bunch of punk. I was just like, I was primed to like a dirty, slimy, sort of gothy, sad mm. movie like this. It's not one that I revisit super often or even mm. like, I think maybe when I was 15, I like liked it, but I'd forgotten all of the actual stuff that I think is good now. Yeah. I was just like, hey, there's a big monster and it's killing people and that's fucking cool, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas now I'm looking at it and I'm like, there are some really interesting meditations on grief and some really strong performances and some really interesting things to say about like what revenge does to people and, oh, and boy. yeah i think that's it's just really cool it's a film that keeps on giving like the movie that i enjoyed when i was 15 it's basically a completely different movie to the movie that i'm enjoying now and that's the beauty of stan winston's Pumpkinhead. i couldn't agree more and for a for a late 80s you know, rubber and mist monster movie. That's pretty massive. You know, what I mean, something that's that revisit revisitable and that has so many layers, and and that is talking about things that are really, really deep and quintessential to the human experience. Like, that's a pretty big swing for the fences. And you know, I had a similar experience. I watched it because it looked like kind of a goofy throwaway rental, uh, which you know, me and my friends would do on a Friday night. And yeah. all of us were kind of stunned into silence because we were enjoying a great film that did all the things we wanted it to for a Friday night monster flick, but was also really fucking with us. And I found it really scary. I we'll talk we'll talk about the monster. Obviously, we'll do a whole section on the titular pumpkin head. But I, I found the movie really unsettling, quite unnerving, and it had it did the same thing to me that those warlock movies did that I watched around the same time. It just made me feel mm. quite sick and frightened. And I was probably around the same age as you, I would imagine, sort of maybe 16, 17, actually, now that I think about it. And I put it in my head in a similar place to Pet Cemetery, even though I, I don't maybe like it as much as Pet Cemetery, but it, it does similar things for me. There's a lot of thematic similarities, and I Absolutely. revisit it in my mind on a similar level to that movie. Yeah, there's definitely, like, there's uh, people doing fucked up supernatural things because their kid died. Yeah. Obviously, that's there's a very strong correlation there with Pet Cemetery. Yeah, there's a lot of similar visuals. I, I I feel like Ed Harley is is a standalone character, a completely you know singular character in horror. 
but he yeah. has a lot of similarities to anyone who loses a kid and seeks revenge. And Lewis Creed, again, I think is a really unique character in, in the genre, but there's so much awesome, like they're almost like reaching across to each other in the void. Like they're so similar in a lot of ways. It's great. Yeah, I think one of the great things about Pumpkinhead is that it doesn't feel like it's a movie for kids. Yeah. A lot of these sort of nothing in this for kids. <laughs> no. Like a lot of these sort of rubber monster movies feel like that they're a a fun time, slashy, gory, whatever. Mm. Which, you know, I mean it has its place and I love a lot of them, but this feels like it's a it's a horror movie for grown ups. Yeah, and it's not as nasty as a lot of quote unquote horror movies for grown ups. It leans into the 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 sort of childhood appeal of scary stories, I think, because it is basically a fairy tale. You know, it has that going for it. But it, yeah. it, it what it does perfectly, now that you've said that, it's made me think of it, it lands that exact that whatever that is, like it's gotta be a goal on the director's part, right? To to fit to get a fairy tale that doesn't feel kitsch and you know, just fucking like cliche fairy tale bullshit that is for adults, but that doesn't scream about it like a lot of shit that Helena Bonham Carter's in or whatever. But there is also like a really late night monster movie and yeah. that has nothing for children. <laughs> That's a pretty massive achievement. Yeah, no, it's 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 really special. And like obviously Stan Winston is a legend. Like mm. we'll talk in depth about Stan Winston, maybe right now. Let's but go. He's obviously he's a legend. He has made every iconic piece of makeup or special effects that you've ever seen apart from the thing, um, yeah. which he was involved in, but he didn't mm -hmm. do the, the amazing effects that Rob Bottin did. But like he directed two movies. One of them is good. One of them is a, a gnome called Norm, which <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sensing you want to talk a little bit about a gnome called Norm at some point. Yes, Sure. <laughs> He also directed the You Will Be Mine video, the Guns N' Roses video. I did not know that. Which, um, I mean, it mostly sucks. Right. It's mostly like them playing live uh, and then it's intercut with with shots from the movie. And I think he's listed as a director because he was second unit on Terminator 2. So a lot of those shots will be his. Right, okay. And, but like the saving grace of the video is that the Terminator meets Guns N' Roses at the end and refers to... Uh, Axel Rose as a waste of ammo, which you know is is correct. Bang accurate. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what a career! <laughs> and yeah, and then he also directed the Michael Jackson Ghosts like long form video. Okay, interesting. Which was um, Michael Jackson trying to recapture the the magic of Thriller. Did he have anything to do with Fraggle Rock or the Dark Crystal? No, that's all. That's all Henson's, right? I think it is. Yeah, I think like the gnome. Norm in a gnome called Norm, yeah, has a sort of dark crystal yeah. vibe, has a little bit of a gelfling to it, kind of but, my, my style icon, yeah. Norm, <laughs> again, why do I look like all of these characters? Why am I Stan Winston's nightmare <laughs> made flesh? I think you're the muse, <laughs> Stan Winston's muse. Oh, shit, that's so bleak, but yeah, obviously, he made. Or did all these effects in, in all of the amazing things, Jurassic Park, yeah. like Friday the 13th, he did some work on like Jason's face, which never He's, was really visible on screen, but like it's there. It's really important as well. Like I would consider that a, a vital part of the, you know, the the Jason menace. I mean, he I know you don't love it, but he did Austin Powers. He was on Galaxy Quest. He had a finger in Pearl Harbor. He's done so, yeah. so much. Batman Returns, he did Penguin. 
You yeah. Know, some of the best shit you've ever seen is this guy. And he, like like I say, he, he ventured into directing for two movies and a few videos. Mm. Sort of nailed it and was like, okay, that's nailed. I'll just yeah. go back to doing what I what I do best. So similar to Tom Savini, which obviously we talked about in the night of the Living Dead remake that obviously he directed. Mm. Like maybe it's just like directing is 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 fun, but it's not the fun of being in there with the with the goo. Like I read that on this specifically, he had basically no hand in the special effects. It was his team from the Stan Winston workshop that did it. That did all the effects, right. but he didn't. He was too busy to have any sort of real oversight. I have a huge hot take for that. Then I'm Go glad on. you said that. I don't love <laughs> many of the practical effects in this movie. If I'm honest, I think Pumpkinhead. Maybe we're going into Pumpkinhead too early. Stop me if I'm ahead of the no, curve. No, no, go wild. Pumpkinhead is lit like shit in this movie. Yeah. Like the, the actual creature is amazing. When you see stills from the movie and when you see it just in a normal room with like some natural light, the detail on that head and the body, everything about it is amazing. But they, why do they just wash it out in so much blue and white that it flattens all the detail? It just looks fetal and kind of wet sometimes. Yeah. And it's, that's not how it looks. That's what pisses me off. It looks, it's so grisly and gnarled and muscular and lumpy and. There's a lot of orange and green and grey and stuff on there, and it just comes across looking like a, you know, like a newborn fetus in the moonlight, which is it still looks great. Don't get me wrong, but I'm still left being like, fuck, why, why not more gnarly? Yeah, I feel like they they sort of move forward with that, don't they? So it starts off, it changes, pretty, yeah, pretty shit. But then obviously we get a lot more detail later on when I think it's meant to sort of look a bit more like Lance Henriksen. Yeah, but I agree that there are some pretty shoddy looking effects in here. There, there are so many effects where it's like Pumpkinhead is in a doorway. Yeah, and he's like he's just sort of doing stuff from a doorway, flailing his arms around, and it's yeah. like, well, you've got an entire Pumpkinhead suit. Mm. Like, why do you need this? Like, we're hiding the puppeteers behind the door situation. Like, we know that he can walk into a room. We've seen him walk. Yeah. We've like, seen him do so much at this point. Yeah. I mean, we don't see Pumpkinhead till 50 minutes into the movie, apart from in the sort of cold open bit. Which surprised me, to be honest, on, on yeah. rewatch. Seeing it in the in the open, I was like, holy crap, they reveal the monster in the first like minute. You see full head and hand at least like twice, which was great because normally I hate that. And I was like, fuck, yeah, this is a scary monster. Show me a little a little bit right at the start. Yeah, I feel like less less the sort of the washed out lighting. I mm. want him to be slimier. Like we talked really? about this, I think on a different episode where like your you creature effects, they just look better if they're just like caked in slime. Nine times out of 10. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's obviously Pumpkinhead comes from the earth and is mm. like, so I don't know where the slime's coming from. But like, well, it comes from a pumpkin it, patch and pumpkins are slimy as fuck, right? Yeah, true. It's a very so, yeah. dry movie. It's very arid lots of brown and orange and red and stuff. I mean, at least for the first half when Pumpkinhead's not around so much. And I sort of thought that Pumpkinhead reflected that in a way of it being very crispy and dry. But I, I like you, want more goo. Yeah. Darth, was that a haiku? I think I would really <laughs> like to see a lot more, you know, dripping orange pumpkin on, on Pumpkinhead. Yeah. But 
what I'm not doing here is saying that the monster sucks. I think Pumpkinhead is fucking rad. It looks so weird and wrong in a lot of ways and creepy and janky. The movement's great. There's a lot going on with Pumpkinhead that I absolutely adore. I just wish someone had said, should we not blast a white light directly in its face in every yeah. scene? I think another issue that I maybe have with Pumpkinhead, and it might mm. just be because we've got Lance Henriksen in this movie, is Go that on. it's a little bit too reminiscent sometimes of like the Giga alien from the Alien franchise. Yeah, and I think if you're a, if you're a massive fucking nerd like we are, and a lot of people are, you will have seen the kind of proto-Xenomorph footage where they're testing the arm movement and the head movement, and they're using bin bags and stuff. And a lot of that looks like Pumpkinhead. And it makes me yeah. think... Did they just sort of default to a, you know, like an alien prototype almost and and kind of dust that off out the closet and go with it? Which I think is very unfair, but it's a thought that occurs to you when you first see it moving if you've seen all that other behind-the-scenes alien footage. So I don't think it's, it's you know, it, it's almost like an instinctive comparison. Um, you've got a long head, you've got high bony shoulders, you've got a wide gait and a tail. Like, it's xenomorphtacular, but in all the right ways, I think. Yeah. Pumpkinhead looks best, in my opinion, head-on. I think it's the scariest from the front. From the side, it starts to look a little bit goof. And when they start layering those facial elements, like you said, to kind of make it look a little bit more like Lance Henriksen, which I did not notice on first watch and only noticed on this, like, I don't know, fifth watch or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. You start to, start to lose the menace a little bit for me, which I think is supposed to be the effect. But, yeah, I mean, I could talk about the fucking monster all day long. I think it looks fucking great. You know, I I agree. I think it's a cool... I, I haven't seen any of the sequels, but I wonder if they get it right or at least, like, learn from some of those mistakes. Obviously, they are much, much lower budget. This is only, like, a $3 million budget, which... Yeah, dude. Is, Incredible. Is tiny yeah. for a movie like this, a yeah. special effects-forward movie like this. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if they they build on that and do anything that, that is better or cooler with those uh, with the effects. I've been a bit apprehensive about watching the sequels. Maybe it's a Patreon because, I don't know, the first one just smashes it. It does everything I want it. It, it literally does everything I want it to do as a movie and, it, and yeah. it, it chips out. Yeah, I'm up for watching them. The interesting thing about the monster and the, the look of the movie generally is that there is there is nothing that happens in this movie at night that I don't think looks fucking incredible. Mm. The nighttime stuff, all the mist the woods, anything even interior at night, anytime you see pumpkin head like shrouded in mist, semi-silhouetted, doing anything, the witch in the woods at night, the sort of running around, you know, frantic mayhem in, in the woods, everything is shot so perfectly in terms of like the composition of the shot and everything that's in it, the mise-en-scene, you know, the lighting, everything looks fucking great. It's only pumpkin head that they kind of light a bit weird every now and then. And I think that's budgetary now that you mention it. Yeah, well, I think... The, the cinematography in this is is pretty special. Obviously, I really fucking love it, yeah. Bo Jambazelli, who is the cinematographer, obviously, this is one of his first projects. I think we have this conversation with basically every movie, that every single cinematographer on a horror movie, it's like their first feature, and they yeah. go on to do literally everything. But he is, he's the same as that. So, like, obviously, he moves on. He's um, done some of my favorite, like, low-budget genre pictures. So he... He worked on um, King of New York, the Abel Ferreira Body Snatchers movie, California with Brad Pitt. Fuck yeah. 
which is a great movie. And then also another song that inspires a, another movie that inspires a uh, Michael Graves era Misfits song, Boxing Helena. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, nice. I didn't know he worked on that. Amazing. Yeah. Which these are all films with like, I think he's got a really good like approach to working with directors to, to achieve their vision. A lot of cinematographers, they have a very specific vision and you, and you hire a cinematographer because you want that style. Sure to be part of the the way that you approach things. Whereas I think Bo Giampazzelli, um, looking at the work that he's done throughout his career, he's just really good at like finding the director's vision mm-hmm. and doing that really well. Yeah. Because like, particularly if you think about Stan Winston, this is the first film he's directed. He's been on a lot of sets, mm. but this is the first time that he's actually had to think about composition and Again, like like you said, it's similar to the the Night of Living Dead thing, where you would expect the creature to maybe look better because he works so closely with that. Obviously, yeah. he did a lot of second unit stuff on movies where he provided the um, the special effects, like Terminator Two. But mm. they're a bit after this. Was that after this? When is Terminator Two? Nineteen ninety. I can tell you for a fact that a gnome named Norm is 1990, which is yeah. incredible to me. Yeah, it feels like... Terminator 2 is 91. So yeah. he goes, Pumpkinhead, gnome <laughs> named Norm, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Sick. Yeah. And then Jurassic Park. Yeah. I mean, I think he's probably looking at the movie as it's being made. You know, he's looking at dailies or he's looking at, you know, looking at the monitor and stuff. And he's thinking, this looks fucking great. And it does. But... Finishing touches on those monster shots, maybe. I just think if they're working together... I mean, I don't know how movies are made. We've made that abundantly clear throughout this podcast. (laughs) But these guys are working closely together to make this movie look a certain way. And they're dragging up classic monster movie shit like Creature from the Black Lagoon and obviously like The Wolfman. They're throwing so much mist into these shots. They're doing so much with shadow. And they're making everything reminiscent of classic monster movies. But they're doing it in 88 and they're doing it with incredibly you know kind of cutting edge monster effects at the time Uh, right you know they're leading into the big transition to a lot of cg and stuff but they're they're doing some of the best you know is it you can't call it puppetry can you because it's a combo of suit and animatronics what do you call that uh suitamatronics sure suitamatronics special effects (laughs) special effects at their peak And uh, they must be looking at each other like, holy fuck, this is a great marriage of like classic monster movie vision, modern technology, and some pretty wild originality in there as well. You know, like you said, the shots with Pumpkinhead coming through doorways, they're pretty menacing, but they're also working a lot of slasher cliches at the same, well, what are cliches now, but they're working a lot of slasher angles at the same time. So there's a lot of cool shit going into this in, in a setting that hasn't really had this before. Can you think of any other, you know, very anonymous uh you know american western town type poverty movies that are you know covered in monster movie magic like i guess tremors to a lesser extent tremors yeah 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 i mean that leans way into like hick comedy doesn't it i don't feel like this i feel like this is much more compassionate to like people living in the dust bowl with no money than tremors well yeah fucking great don't get me wrong Tremors is the one that comes to mind. Yeah. I don't know where this movie is set. Obviously, they shot it in California, but like, I don't know yeah. if it's set in like Texas or fucking Albuquerque or, or what. But like, but isn't that great? The anonymity of the setting is fucking yeah. brilliant. And the time, what year is this? Like, 
it's great that you have no idea where or when you are. I think like the the thing that puts it in a time and a place, which is the point, is is the eighties dirt bike kids. Yeah. Um. Which why is why is dirt bike so eighties to me? Like they still exist. It just is. Yeah. But like there was a time and a place in in movies where dirt bikes and skateboards just became like synonymous with a with a time and a place. It's weird. I think it's Hollywood's attempt at being teenage as well it's yeah. like what are the teenagers into dirt bikes and skateboards like yeah. you can't skate in the desert what are we gonna have dirt bikes one of the things that i noticed in this which i noticed this time which i hadn't really noticed before is that the the city kids their performances are fucking terrible they're awful really like, do you think so yeah i think they're also overwrought and like insane whereas everybody that's like a local mm has like these really sort of grounded performances. And I think that's a choice. I think that they did this on purpose to show the difference between how city po- city folk yeah. act or the city youth act mm-hmm. versus how the real salt of the earth American people act. Uh, yeah, I'd be surprised if that wasn't the case. Yeah, that sounds right. I mean, if, even if, if, if it wasn't the case, it's a really fucking lucky accident because like... Yeah. Everybody that's like a local, you've got fucking George Buck Flower in like one of his mm. rare non-homeless guy roles. Yeah. And I I love George Buck Flower so much. Yeah. Um, every movie, every scene that he's in is my favorite scene in every movie ever. He's rock solid in this too. He's amazing in this. Like this is yeah. like one of his more meaty roles. Yeah. I mean, it's not the meatiest role in the world, but like he it's has one great of- lines. He has really good dialogue and his presence is really felt in every scene he's in yeah yeah, i think you're right i think the kids are supposed to be look at these fucking idiots like what has the world come to you know you've got like i mean ed harley's whole deal is that he is humble right he's he's humility incarnate and then he's twisted by grief and guilt and vengeance and it's like the you know the destruction of all good things uh whereas these kids are like reckless drunk entitled brash loud child murderers <laughs> yeah. it's an accident sure but could have seen that coming a mile off do you know what i mean it's an easy comparison to make and but i don't think it's done particularly ham-fistedly in this i actually really like the kids performances i i think they're sort of stronger than i remember them being so it's interesting that to you they're weaker than you remember them being dick warlock's in this movie by the way what the fuck we, we we've got all over dick warlock yeah young richard I think what's what's really important though is that juxtaposition. I think that's vital, and it's it's early in the movie, isn't it? It's it's pivotal to the plot. It's really important in how we understand Ed, uh, who is you know singular standalone character of depth in the movie. Everyone else, I think, is pitched just right. We don't know too much about these kids. We don't know too much about the other locals. We we get everything we need from everyone. I think there's a real lack of romance in this movie, right? Not much, uh, not much love. I think there was a. A period in the in the eighties and the nineties, and I guess before that and after that, so forever, where where you, people just sort of like shoehorn a romance into a movie, yeah. Where it's like these two characters that I guess have had to spend some time together, kind of like in Wolfen, right. like where two characters have to spend some time together. So what? And they're one's a man and one's a woman, so they have to bang at some point. Like inevitably, they fall in love. Yeah, there's there's, there's absolutely no need for that. Mm. Uh, in a lot of movies and sometimes it's really jarring and sometimes it isn't jarring but it's like okay did we really need to see fucking albert finney fuck this woman (laughs) like i'm gonna go with 
Yes. <laughs> but in this, there's so much strength in Ed Harley's solitude. It's yeah, absolutely. not even talked about. It's just, I am alone with my son, and now my son is dead. And you just take it. You're just like, fuck, I guess that's how you live. Let's go. Well, yeah. How do you meet women in this community where there's one family that buy mm. their fucking chicken feed from you? Yeah. And there's you and your son in this fucking absolute murder shack shop. <laughs> the shop that, like... The slasher kids stop out on their way to go get axed up by Jason. Like, yeah, and accidentally kill a kid. Yeah, and all he's got there is like he's selling yams on his porch, and he's astonished when somebody stops there to buy something. It's clear that this is like subsistence farming with like the facade of commerce. And and I love that about his his character's start in the movie because we know from the flashback that he's the kid in the beginning who witnesses. A pumpkin head revenge killing right we know that he's got his yeah. roots in the his twisted roots in the soil of witchcraft and that's fucking great and then we kind of i don't know about you but i kind of expect him to grow up to be like a relatively quote-unquote normal member of mainstream society who has this massive collapse and fall into you know this you know, whatever the, the the world beneath the world is where the witch lives but he 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 is such a lonely lonely man yeah it's an amazing performance as well like i think yeah Lance Henriksen is one of the unsung heroes of of acting. Like yeah. he always, I've said it before, but he always brings it. Like it's always good. I can't imagine. I watched a Western with him in it relatively recently, which was mm. called like Death of a Gunslinger or something, um, which I rated really highly. And it's just because, and it's like a absolute bottom of the barrel, sort of low, low, low budget Western that I saw on like one of those dodgy channels on Roku. Right. Uh, but it was amazing, like the, his performance at the middle of it. It's just, yeah, he, he can't not bring it. And like he's got these sort of book teeth that they've like these sort of teeth uh, prosthesis in. Yeah, he he chews gum like almost no other actor. I think in in like gum chewing actors. Yeah, there's like there's him and there's Bill Paxton and everyone else just can't do it. Do you know what I mean? Can't chew gum. Yeah, I hear you. I don't think a lot of people would sing the praises of his range, but all I'm going to say is Bishop to Ed Harley. Yeah, yeah absolutely. He's playing a fucking robot in the future who bleeds white fucking goo and, and who has so much to do in that movie. Bishop does so much in terms of robot range. And then we go to, you know, grief-stricken, revenge-seeking, Dust Bowl farmer guy. Like, that's an incredible leap in such a tight window of your career. You have to credit the man as being an incredible actor to pull that off, to, to the point where both roles are fucking iconic to two yeah. similar but different audiences. He's he's a facial guy, which we love, right? We love a facial. We do love a facial at the uh, Final Transmission podcast. <laughs> he's slaying the facials. His range is subtle, but it's there. Like yeah. it's it's like he can he can do that sort of stoic, robotic like mm -hmm. I'm these um, these movements are happening because I'm programmed and I'm programmed really well so I look pretty human but not exactly. quite human. Whereas in this, it's like it's a different kind of stoicism. It's a different mm -hmm. vibe altogether. It's just yeah, he's great. He's just fucking great. I watched an interview with him years ago, and the interviewer was asking him. I think they were talking about facial expressions and how he maybe doesn't quite qualify 
for the category of actors that we love because of their faces, you know, your Goldblum, mm. your Defoe's, et cetera, et cetera. But that he has, you know, one of the best faces in the game. And he's very humble about it. He just says, that's my face. Uh, you, you get what you're given kind of thing. But he also does say that he carries a lot of, uh, he, he looks like a working man, right? He's got like a kind of grizzled yeah. look. And he does, he says he kind of pushes that forward in his performances that he's carrying years of graft on his face, basically. And I bet that's just because he fucking worked his ass off in Hollywood. Do you know what I mean? The guy has grafted for fucking centuries. I, the The thing that I discovered through this movie that I want to watch that I've never seen is a TV series called Millennium. Have you seen Millennium? I love Millennium. I've never seen it. It's ahead of me. It's on my list now Um, because it's him in a leading role in a TV series about fucking FBI profiling. It's great. Yeah, well, it's it's an X-Files spinoff, so it gets cancelled before its time. So it doesn't, if you you watch Millennium, it doesn't really wrap up the way that you want it to. But then they, they basically, Chris Carter, who is the showrunner, Obviously, yeah. who created X-Files. He basically brings Frank Black back into X-Files so they can mm. wrap the show up as like a proper conclusion. That's fascinating. Holy yeah, it's fuck, really I good. I can't wait to watch this. Great. That's some... And like the, the lone gunmen like pop yeah. up. It's like, a, it's it's a shared universe thing and I would Brilliant. absolutely recommend it. Wholeheartedly endorsed by Jamie Carruthers. I'm fuck all yeah. He is just a working actor. Like he yep. is just working constantly. He's got like 10 credits every year since 1980. Yeah. And, like it's and insane. In this day and age, just incredible, right? Yeah. And like he doesn't age. If he does, he ages incredibly well. I think like he was one of those actors that started off 45. Yeah. And has sort of stayed looking identical forever. Yeah. Yeah. He always great. looked to me as a younger movie viewer. You know, you kind of have this category in your head of, like, old men. And even though he's probably fucking 35 in Monkinhead, <laughs> I remember thinking he's got to be, you know, 60. He's He's got one of those old soul type faces, uh, a really, like, in my opinion, very handsome man. And yeah. knows how to chuck that face around. Holy he's cow. Got, he's got one of those sort of, like, uh, Cronenberg, like, movie faces. Absolutely, yeah. That could be hammed up for horror, but I don't think ever is. He really yeah. gives measured facial performances, and I have the utmost respect for that. He's just fucking great. Why is this witch credited as Haggis? Because that's the, her name. Does anyone say that name in the movie? It's it's a weird choice, isn't it? Because I guess, like, Hag, is the, that's the vibe. Like, that's what you would like, call a witch in 1988. But, like... I guess. You, and it sounds you, sort of oldie worldy, but like we all will know what fucking haggis is. But I guess Americans in the eighties, yeah. haggis is an exotic thing. Maybe. It's, I mean, that's actually not a bad shout. I guess like the the intended audience of this movie, you know, kids with three bucks in their hands to go to a, a monster movie. Maybe maybe haggis is like a folkloric sounding yeah. <laughs> scary witch name. To us, it's nothing nothing but a fat dude, right? Haggis is the nickname you give the big guy. Yeah. Not the creepy, skinny, withered witch. I don't know. I like it. The more I think about it, the more I like it. Yeah, I'm thinking about the witch. Maybe the witch places this in, like, Appalachia as well, rather than, like... There's a lot of questionable accent work in this movie that makes it hard to place. These yeah. people are all, quote-unquote, southern. Uh, but yeah. it, it could be fucking anywhere. She feels Appalachian. She slips into Irish here and there, which is <laughs> yeah. really funny. Um I, I don't know. I mean, I find this witch 
horrifying beyond words. I, I, I love this witch. I think the, the witch is kind of whatever for me. Like she's just sort of there, but the, the scenes in the witch's cabin are my favorite scenes in this movie. They're like, yeah. they're shot, they're shot really cleverly. They're lit really cleverly. Mm-hmm. So like when um, Ed Harley first goes there and meets Haggis, the witch, it's it's shot in a way where there's just massive contrast. So it's like red and it's black. Yeah. It's light and it's dark. There's two choices in front of you here, Ed Harley. You've mm-hmm. got the light path or the dark path, and that's it. There are no shades of gray here. And then obviously there's all this cool stuff in the cabin that's like all grotty little cabin stuff and like an yeah. owl and a rat and other little spooky creatures. Everything's and twiggy and woven. Yeah, it's amazing. Like it's yeah. really good. And then when... After Ed Harley makes his decision and he goes back, or not even that, actually. After Ed Harley makes his decision, uh, the lighting sort of shifts slightly and you get some more shades of grey in there. Yeah. And then when he goes back to the cabin later and he's trying to undo this decision that he's made, the, the contrast is back there again. It's like black and white, you've made your choice. It's 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 really, really clever like yeah. visual storytelling. That is, it's quite subtle, but like it just puts puts those thoughts in your brain without you even really knowing it. It's really clever. And it feels like a different place in those scenes for me. It, yeah. it shifts. There's such a, it's such a tiny space, but the atmospheric shift and the, the sort of, like you said, the way that it's lit and the mise-en-scene and everything there makes it feel like this weird sort of morphing space. Like it's, mm. it's almost like they're moving her around. I don't know, it's really clever. I liked it a lot. I think it's uh, some of the strongest stuff, some of the eeriest stuff is in that cabin. And I I think this is a really spooky, eerie movie. And it's scenes like that that just kind of keep you in that eerie space where you could be lost in, you know, silly monster, funny goof time. But it it stays genuinely creepy because of stuff like that subtle stuff yeah i think like those those scenes like they're pulling from i mean maybe this is just me because i like comics but i feel like they're pulling from like a comics type space yeah definitely it it feels a little bit tales from the crypt it feels Mm -hmm. like frank miller artwork like sin city type stuff yeah um and it's yeah it just makes for a really striking visual like at the center of this movie and like basically the turning point of this movie so once obviously once eddie dies Mm things get fucked up and like the point in which ed harley goes here it's the point of no return so why not make it as as dark and as ominous as possible it's yeah and like it's like we said it's worth noting that we don't get any of this really spooky stuff apart from the the cold open until 50 minutes into this movie which Mm -hmm. is only an hour and 26 yeah so like in order for, for us to go along for this ride we need those really strong central performances we need like a really interesting visual story we need to know that there's this sort of sense of foreboding and what's going to happen because obviously we all know what's going to happen in a movie called Pumpkinhead, where this lone guy by himself lives with his son that he absolutely idolizes yeah but yeah it's a testament to stan wilson as a director to Bojan Bozzelli as a as a cinematographer, to the writing, to the performances that you you're carried along through fifty minutes of just a guy and his kid and some shitty dirt bike teens. Yeah. Bef- before you get any scary stuff in this horror movie. Yeah. It's 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 really oh, it's just it just makes it special. I think going back to your point about the 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 comic book feel of some of those scenes, 
to me, the whole movie is is because it's made by such a gang of workhorses. Mm. Everything feels really well blocked. So everything feels like it links, you know, it fits together like the way squares fit together, like a comic book. It just goes from strength to strength to strength. So really well composed, really well structured scene to the next. And I think it's broken in, a, you know, it's got a classic three act structure, but there is that fucking big old turning point around the halfway mark. And the, the movie feels really comfortable to watch, I think, because it ticks so many of the boxes that you don't really realize you need ticking when you're watching a horror movie. It's mm. paced well. It's the right length. It goes to the right depth and the right places with all the characters for you to get everything you need from them without being overwhelmed by anything except Lance Henriksen's performance, which you're supposed to be you know, fully overwhelmed by. And then yeah. you've got a monster that does everything a monster's supposed to do, but that does loads of stuff in a slightly original way. And visually, it's arresting from start to finish in ways that are both really familiar and really exotic. So it just fucking does everything to the best of its ability and to to the absolute maximum that you need in a one hour, 26 monster romp. Uh, And then it takes you to the absolute depths of human despair. And it takes you to places that are almost funny. It does loads of stuff really well. Um, and I just don't think it gets enough credit for how well it's constructed as a movie. It's a real feat of movie making in terms of the the way that everything fits together. It shouldn't be this good, really, should it? It's called Pumpkinhead for fuck's sake. Well, literally, it's that's that's the thing. It's an it's a late eighties mm. monster movie. Like it shouldn't be this good, but it is because yeah. you've like like we've said, you've got Lance Henriksen giving. As good a performance as he's as he's ever given. I agree. Like he's 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 a solid actor, so he he always gives a good performance. But like this might might be his best. This maybe this near dark and alien mm. aliens are like pretty much the 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 peak. He doesn't have as much to lean on in this as he does in other movies because I think in Aliens he's part of a bit of an ensemble cast. Yeah, he has a gimmick in that a lot of the scenes where he does some of his best acting, he's chopped in half or you know there's a there's a a plot a plot element that's really bringing out the best in his character in this he's just dry sad guy for the whole movie and he pulls it off perfectly yeah no i think he he really does i mean there there are some silly moments in this film Mm. none of them are lance henriksen related Mm. there's like a moment where one of the girls is like why is this happening and it's like yeah "Yeah, because you you killed that kid the kid died a kid with a dirt bike yeah like so that's why this is happening obviously yeah. it's a maybe a disproportionate response but that's why it's happening yeah. and then there's the other scene where the guys try to start the dirt bike and pumpkin heads holding the chain like got your chain buddy so like that seems a little bit out of character for our for our pumpkin head but, but a pumpkin head doesn't behave the way you expect the sort of summoned slash birthed witch woodland creature it's what's well, kind of what i love about pumpkin head kind of mischievous and Mm. definitely fucking evil as hell my favorite moment in the whole movie and what i think is the scariest moment in this movie and i I honestly put this in my top 10 scary moments of things that creep me out movies full stop is when he's killed the girl and he's holding her head at the window and just kind of marionetting it up and down it's shot so well and then he just presses her face against the window and rubs it around and then he smashes her through the window and it's it's everything it sums up Pumpkinhead to me it's ominous it's menacing it's evil it's mischievous it's dark it's bleak and then it's violent as hell and that scene just blew me away I, I, I think first watch scared the crap out of me so you never really appreciate something as much when it scares you second watch third watch I wait for that scene because it's so 
grisly. I love it yeah. to bits. And like one of the really good things about that scene in particular is that you don't know if it's a prosthetic or if it's a model. Yeah. yeah. Like it, the the effect on that head are so good. Like it could just be the actress, and they've got she's got her eyes closed, and they're mashing her face through like. I um, thought, yeah, I thought it was the actress. If it if it's a prosthetic, it's the best I've ever seen because I'm 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 all in on that for the whole the whole time yeah. that scene's happening. I think it's a real head. The the, yeah. the sort of the the violent scenes, the killings mm. aren't especially. A lot of it takes place off screen, and you see a really grisly aftermath. Yeah, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, there's a lot of like dropping and throwing, and and you know loud noises and then someone's dead and stuff like that i i have no problem with that whatsoever in this movie you know i think it's really interesting because like when the killing takes place off screen like Pumpkinhead drags the guy uh up into the, the tree or whatever yeah. you're like okay well i guess this death is taking place off screen mm. and then it like bait and switches you with like yeah. the really gnarly violated corpse of this yeah. guy and that happens a number of times and you never quite get your footing with it because it's mm -hmm. like, okay, the killing's taking place off screen. I guess we're in a relatively tame place. And then all of a sudden, here's the dead girl's face coming, being wiped across the window. Yeah. Like fucking Ralph Macchio. Shredded. It's, it's <laughs> wild. Because I'm always led to believe by early monster movies that the reason we're not seeing the monster kills is because they didn't have the resources to do it. That's why you get a lot mm. of monsters just strangling people and stuff. So. Yeah. You get a lot of off-screen kills in classic monster movies, and I think what Pumpkinhead's doing here is is putting a really cool, quite subtle twist on that and bringing in the slasher elements. Some of it's off-screen, some of it's not. Some of it's violent as hell. Some of it's, you know, almost a pulled punch. I think it's doing everything and keeping you off balance, and that's what I mean about the mischief. Like, you never mm. know where you stand with Pumpkinhead. You don't know if you could reason with Pumpkinhead, which obviously you can't. You don't know if you could, if you could communicate in some way, if you could bargain. You don't know if you could kill Pumpkinhead. You've got no idea. It's such a wonderful, unknown, uh, just many, many layered beast. And that's what's mm. intriguing to me about sequels, because you know Pumpkinhead can be summoned again. So you know, like, fuck me, this could go anywhere. And that's what I love ultimately about that monster. I sort of think the, the sequels are implied. It's kind of like we don't mm. need to tell the story because the story is, the story that you tell in your head, like, oh, now Lance Henriksen as Harley, he is a pumpkin head and is being buried mm. in the pumpkin patch. Yeah. Like, we know that. So we don't need to know. I wonder if they bring in, like, the necklace into the sequels and things like that so we know uh, yeah. that it's the same, the same pumpkin head or whatever. But, like, the, the, the movie tells you that there are more stories here, but you don't need to see those stories in order to enjoy that. And that's – it sort of feels – Maybe like it's a bit cheap, particularly if yeah. they're straight to video or straight to sci-fi channel movies, which the sequels were. Mm. Two of them were in fucking 2006. No good sci-fi, straight to sci-fi channel movies were happening in 2006. No. I think 2006 is the year that those fucking two Return of the Living Dead sequels came out with Peter Coyote in them. Oof. Like Ra Rave to the Grave and whatever the other one was called. Like yes. nobody needed those. No. So... Yeah, I'm, I mean, maybe we'll do a we'll do a a, a Patreon episode where we talk about the, the the Pumpkinhead sequels. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the same principle as the uh, as the Pet Cemetery. The idea of a Pet Cemetery sequel. You know, you're told throughout the movie that people have been buried there before and animals have been buried there before. Scary as fuck. Great scene setting. Don't need to see the movie. Don't no. need a prequel. Don't need a sequel. Leave it the fuck alone. But 
Here yeah, we like, are. like the thing, like the thing. Yeah, like we didn't, absolutely. we didn't need a sequel that shows what happens at the fucking Norwegian camp. Like we don't yeah. need that. The, no. the 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 what happens at the Norwegian camp is is implied throughout or at the beginning of the thing. Like we don't need to see what mm. happens there. That movie has played out in our brain when yeah. we see the the shit. Agreed. So yeah, we didn't it's, need that. It's better in my brain. I love again, I know we've said this before, but I love going to bed after a movie like this and imagining the ex- the extended universe. Do you know what I mean? Imagining yeah. what that's enough for me. Like leave leave me the fuck alone, Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to think. Uh but you know, <laughs> that being said, I am intrigued because they exist and I will check mm. them out just because I love the feeling I get from this movie and it's a it's a steady burn of a feeling from start to finish you can't watch this movie and do anything else you know it's it's yeah. arresting enough that it keeps you in and it's it creates such an atmosphere of tension from start to finish it's weird right because it's bleak and it's punishingly sad but it doesn't fall into the same category as a lot of those movies in my head for me it mm. still has that element of action to it that keeps it more of a kind of fizzy bitey shot by shot blow by blow slow build movie rather than like a super sad dreary nothing well like i think if we're sort of comparing it directly to pet cemetery mm. which which i am in, in in this sentence in pet cemetery obviously it's it's uh it's the guilt that drives your guy to put gage in the in the cemetery and he comes back yeah. and it's all fucked up and obviously gr- grief is bad and we've we've got to stop gage yeah. But like, there's a sadness there. Whereas, like in in this, obviously, it's all about revenge. So it, it's and it's the revenge is brought on by the grief. Yeah. So like, there's a bit more of an action element there too. And obviously, yeah, as as Lance Henriksen reconciles his grief, or at least is forced to reconcile his grief based on having to experience directly what that revenge feels like to him. Yeah. Um, and be physically affected by the revenge that's happening, even though it's happening, but uh, like with a third party, mm. like he's he's forced to reconcile his grief in those moments, and therefore has to then figure out how to stop it from happening. And so mm. you get a much more sort of action centric final act yeah. with Lance Henriksen effectively being the hero again mm. by having to figure out how to stop Pumpkinhead. And ultimately the only way to stop Pumpkinhead is to shoot yourself in the fucking face. Yeah, he blows his own pumpkin off. He I does. Mean, amazing scene. I, I love I love the whole... F- Normally if it's a big action ending to a movie, even, to be honest, Aliens, I'm just like, snore, get me back to the character stuff. I, I love the ending of this. I think it's so well shot and Pumpkinhead mm. is so believably an action threat at the end of this movie that I, I just fucking love it. And when he, when he does ultimately spoiler alert, <laughs> shoot himself in the head, it's, it's great. It's off screen. Sure. Uh, we do get a cut back, but it's, it's not made a huge deal out of, there's not a huge swelling orchestral, you know, arrangement around it. It's just like, she's in danger. He feels bad. He's realized the only way to kill it is to blap himself in the noodle. And he does. He does. I mean, it doesn't quite work. He doesn't die. So then she has to, has yeah. to kill him. And you get one of your favorite shoot me, kill me scenes. Yeah, love it. Top top it, five. It's not like, a, oh, I'm dying, so kill me. This hurts so much. It's just like, it's all in the you, have to, you have to kill me. Like, yeah. you have to do it. Otherwise. And his whole, when we finally realize the two are linked, you know, the movie does quite a good job, I think, of not babying us with that, but not making it, you know, 
so subtle that you miss it. But the 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 stuff with Lance Henriksen's eyes, all the makeup on the eyes and his face and his expressions, it's all absolutely top tier for me. It's scarier than any zombie. It's mm. it's possession level facial makeup. It's absolutely superb. Do you like that end sequence with the flamethrower and the you know all that kind of whatever we're calling it, the final showdown with Pumpkinhead? Are you into that? Yeah, I think it, it loses a bit of steam. Like right at the end, I think. Like I love the 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 kill me stuff. I think that's great. Yeah. And like we're in on this movie because because Lance Henriksen and his performance. Yeah. So like once his performance sort of dies, mm. the movie sort of stops being great. Sure. I think. Yeah. But it all works. It's all shot nicely. Mm. I think. Like I say, the motorcycle teens aren't my favorite and they're they're pretty interchangeable and they could basically sure. be superimposed from any slasher movie or monster mm. movie from the time so yeah so once once lance Henriksen's out of the picture literally then i'm less interested you're left with less he's gone yeah you know mercifully you don't have long without him right no no and then obviously he's buried he's got the necklace on yeah it's it's cool it's a cool ending yeah, super and there's cool no ending. Jumping out of the grave, yeah. Final scare moment or anything like that. It's 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 a sad ending, and I yeah. and I respect that. I've got an enormous amount of respect for a sad ending. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. I I mean, listen, we could talk about this for a thousand years. I don't know why though, because it shouldn't it shouldn't provoke so much conversation. It's just so well made. It really is. It's like it's just such a cut above everything that's that's similar from this age mm. and like people don't talk about it in the same breath as like the fly no i or, don't think you should really i i think i think there's a lot of stuff that it has in common with the fly mm. in terms of like the the way that we sort of transform and the way that like we we become the thing that we hate yeah it does actually it does service to really deep and complex human emotions through the vehicle of horror in a pretty similar yeah. way, actually. I think I would agree with that. This might be a backhanded compliment, but I think one of the things Pumpkinhead, one of the things that makes Pumpkinhead stand out above other movies of the era and genre, etc., is that it doesn't make any of the same mistakes. It doesn't mm. make any massive fuck-ups. doesn't, you know, seriously meander off in any of the key areas. It's just strong and steady in every vital. And I think that, you know, while that is a massive achievement, maybe it's what separates it uh, from from some trash. Do you know what I mean? Trash yeah. will quite willingly fly off into too much here or too little there, uh, and consciously do so in almost a self sabotaging way. Whereas I think Pumpkinhead is so rock solid and steady in all those areas that it it kind of wins wins the fight by kind of you know it's like a an attrition thing. Yeah, I guess like nobody's gonna look at this and and think that it's a James Cameron film or no. it's a, a Cronenberg movie or no. or something of that level. But it but you're right. I think it, it does sit below that, but above so much of that other stuff mm. by being really solidly directed, really solidly put together with, mm. with 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 on the most part great performances. Yeah. It's just it's just good. It's good if you thing. haven't watched Pumpkinhead by now 
we've ruined it but it is good go watch it you should watch it and i would recommend this is a bit weird but i would recommend what looking at loads of stills from the movie after you've watched it just to really soak up some of the stuff that's just shot differently to to what's in the movie because there's so much uh you know this they obviously had a lot of snap happy people on set and a lot mm. of people have photographed the the costumes and the the models and and everything since there's a real like corner of the internet that's dedicated to like documenting the pumpkin head phenomenon so sink your teeth into the rich visuals of this movie after you've seen it because it's great yeah well should we take a quick break and then come back and give our final thoughts let's do that let's absolutely do that right now Woof. come on man does that thing even work no there's nothing out there it's just dead air Okay, we're back, Sam. We're back. We're so back, like a vertebrae. Honorable shout out to the kid in this movie. So cute. Huge. Yeah. Totally adorable. Crushed by a motorcycle. Very, very good performance. He died as he lived. Running around on the motorbike. <laughs> what else has this kid been in? He's got such good kid face. He's great. And what oh. I love about him is that he's they kind of play him off as being quite a simple child. He's obviously... It's just ripe for the slaughter in so many ways. But it's all the more tragic because he's such a sweet little simple boy. Yeah. So he's the little the little kid in The Lost Boys. No way. Yeah. He looks much older in The Lost Boys than he does here. He does. And the Lost Boys is a year or so earlier. I guess it's shot a year or so earlier. So, like, it's weird. He didn't do an awful lot after that. Good kid. Great death. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> R.I.P. Dead, dead kids. This one goes yep. out to all the dead children out there. All this right, one goes out. <laughs> it's not Christmas anymore. Jamie is off the chain. <laughs> right, let's wrap this. Uh, let's wrap this pumpkin up. Okay. Do you want to give us your your final thoughts? Nineteen eighty eight. Not much good happened. Pumpkinhead oh. was one of the. Well, really, what was good in eighty eight? I feel like eighty eight is a good. It's a good year for horror movies. A good year for good horror movies. Maybe I was snoozing on 88. I need to revisit. To quote the band Sometime Never, I hate 88. It's not true. Pumpkinhead, I think, is a really, really strong, very simple, but very well-executed horror movie from the year 1988. I love so much about it. If anyone says, do you want to watch Pumpkinhead? My answer is almost always yes, because it, it has that little place in my heart that's just thoroughly rewatchable, super comforting monster movie with, with real backbone, guts, heart and soul. It looks a bit minging in the beginning, and then it looks fucking fantastic for the second half of the movie. Uh, it ticks a lot of uh, a lot of my personal preference boxes when it comes to monster movies, and I just wouldn't want anyone to not see it if they if they wanted a movie that that makes you feel all those feelings. So go out and watch Pumpkinhead. I'm going to give it five mashed up kids caught in the chain of a dirt bike out of five. I really really like it a lot. Like we've said. Strong performances throughout, apart from the kids, but that's on purpose. It looks amazing. It's shot beautifully. It's insane that Stan Winston didn't do more directing. And mm. when he did, it was that fucking gnome movie, which looks like ass. Yeah. We didn't talk in depth about a gnome called Norm, and it looks like it looks like it was shat out of an ass. It is shite front to back. It looks weak as piss. Yeah. I mean, and I also I'm thoroughly against like revisionist Anthony Michael Hall as anything but the nerdy little twerp from Weird Science yeah. or 
Breakfast Club, if that's if that's your particular poison, it's not it's not mine. Weird science is mine. Hmm. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> you know how much I love the Breakfast Club. And I love well, that I, guy. I know that you're a Breakfast Club guy. I am much more a weird science guy. Yeah. I like them both, but Breakfast Club any day of the week. Yeah, I think like him latter day him. Did you ever see the show he was in? He was in the dead zone. Yeah, I yeah. Fine. I just don't I don't understand him. I can't see him as not that guy, even though he looks much more hench and mm. in his in his thirties and like or however old he he was at that point. Like I just yeah. You know, people say but, someone ages well or they age poorly. He aged weird. He did age weird. He aged into a different guy. He aged like Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, I think Macaulay Culkin aged super weird. Yeah, yeah, mutant levels weirdness. I think maybe Macaulay Culkin is a pumpkin head of Macaulay Culkin. Fucking hell. Okay, who would win in a fight between... Uh, right, pumpkin Kevin head. McAllister versus yeah. pumpkin head. Pumpkin head's breaking into the McAllister house. Who's who's winning, Kevin or pumpkin head? Is the pumpkin head? Is it Joe Pesci? Is it like he's woke awoken pumpkin head because he's so mad at what what happened at the, in the events of Home Alone One? Joe Pesci head. Is this a revisionist Home Alone Two? <laughs> Marv yeah, dies. Marv dies. Okay. No, I tell you what. Marv kills Pesci with that. Uh, crowbar blow to the sternum which would kill any human being on earth yes well everything that happens in that film would kill anyone sure but that fucking one that gets me every time is the crowbar to the chest so he takes him to the pet cemetery and buries him in haggis's magic box and out comes marv head and marvin head wait pesci who fucking it's pesci out comes pesci head and pesci head is going for revenge on Kevin McAllister. So uh, who who wins? Well, I think this is interesting because it means that every time Kevin hurts Pesci Head, yeah. Marv feels it too. Yeah. So like we're already... Premise. It is a great premise. And the South Bend Shovel Slayer's there, just like slaying with his shovel. This is, woof, this is like how that fucking Winnie the Pooh movie got made. This, this could when, be... In a hundred years, right when... Free. When, when Home Alone enters the public domain, we we are our great great grandchildren are making Pesci Head. Pesci Head. Brackets. Home Alone two. Home Alone two two. Home Alone two two. Brackets. Pesci Head. Cousin Pesci's <laughs> Island Adventure. Where is it set? Is it New York? I think it's set. I think maybe the family go on holiday to Appalachia. Yeah, maybe and it's like, in like hatchet territory. Maybe we get a yeah. hatchet cameo in the background, like a Bigfoot thing of fucking Victor Crowley in the background at one point. This is a great movie. Dude, I'm making it in my head as we speak, and it's brilliant. I don't know who wins. Maybe it's like Alien versus Predator. Whoever wins, we lose, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you think Stan Winston's up for dusting off the old directorial gloves? Is he dead? Yeah, he's dead. Uh, Sorry, mate. He is dead. Yeah. But who cares? Will he direct it? Yes or no? <laughs> I mean, in as much as it's definitely going to get made, he will definitely direct it. Yeah. I, in, in, the, in the place where this really happens, he's the one directing it. You know, the, the tagline for Pumpkinhead 2 is very clever. It's, uh, they couldn't leave dead enough alone. Nice. Pretty great. Yeah. I, oh, you, boy, did we derail your final thoughts. <laughs> very my sorry. Final, 
My final thoughts is 10 out of 10 for Home Alone 2 2, Pesci Head. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Who wouldn't give that movie 10 out of 10? It's, it would be amazing. And, like, I don't, I still want to know who would win. Obviously, Kevin wins because it's, it's a movie and Kevin Dude, wins. I, Pumpkinhead wins. Uh, sorry, Pesci Head wins. And he twists Kevin's head off like a jar. And you see the fucking spine come out and the stretchy sinews just pop as he fucking throws it out the window of the house and it rolls along in the snow and then winks at you and then credits. We went into fucking Freddy vs. Jason territory. I don't want <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, that's where I was going. I don't want that. That's the worst. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Less, less the wink. Then the South Bend shovel slayer scoops the head up, dumps it in a bucket, and then the next movie is Home Alone 3-3, the South Bend shovel slayer versus Pesci head. Well, yeah, maybe he shovels it and he puts the head into a bucket and the bucket's already full of heads. So, yeah. like, we're, we're, we're also revising the South Bend shovel slayer. Yep. Terrifier to... vibes. Yeah. Off we go. We're off to the races. Um, we are off to the races. Our dicks are off to the races. Our dicks are hot, heavy, hard and racing right now, let me tell you. <laughs> we just reached our peak. We're a rolling boil. Okay, so pumpkin head. Yep. It's really good, isn't it? It's great. Yeah. Thanks for listening. I've, s- <laughs> I've said everything about Pumpkinhead. Yeah. It's just it's just really, really worth your time. Mm. Even if you think like that late 80s era sort of monstery, slashery vibes aren't for you. Yeah. This will either change your mind or at least be the one film that you get. Yeah. You it will- slips in. It slips in and slips out. It's it's yeah. It it doesn't fit where it is. But not in a bad way. It just does a better job than a lot of movies of the time. And it's yeah. a, a rental classic. It's one that you can't come to too late in life. I wholeheartedly recommend you watch it. Yeah. And like, like I said, I think it's it's a it's a better movie for being an adult. Yeah, for sure. I agree. I would give it 12 out of 12 window wipes with a dead broad's face. It's chilling. That scene is easily one of my all-time faves. A horror classic moment. Well played, Pumpkinhead. Great work. Uh, yeah. Thanks for listening to the Final Transmission Podcast. We hope you've had a great time with us today. Jamie, is there anything you want to say to the listeners before we chip? Uh, yeah, Merry Taintless. We'll see yeah. you. I mean, it's not going to be the taint when this comes out. It'll be the new year. So Merry New Year. Hope you enjoyed the taint. <laughs> Have a great new year. Yeah.